0: ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 3, if you want Nehemiah chapter 3. Needless to say, uh, I've been toying with the idea over the last 30 minutes of completely ditching this sermon and going on the fly, but I'm not going to. I'm going to try um, to stay with what I studied for this um, morning. And uh, see how far I get through it. Okay. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to start. Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, in Nehemiah 1 and 2, you see this, this conversation happen between uh, a couple of people. First, Nehemiah is working, and, and he's, he's working in the king's uh, palace, and he, it says later on in the in the text that he is the butler, that he's the he's the man who um, would taste the food, would make sure that the food was was prepared well and was not dangerous for uh, the king to to partake of it. And someone comes to him and he says, "Well, uh, how's how's our cousins doing back? You know, a few years ago, Ezra took some people uh, back from." The captivity to the land, back to Jerusalem, in order to to build the temple. How is that going? And they say, well, it's not looking good for them. They uh, they don't have any walls, and in that time, walls were the way that you protected yourself. They don't have any walls. They don't have anything that that can that can keep the raiders out, and they they don't really have a lot of food. They don't have a lot of things. They're just not doing very good. Nehemiah. About four months later. Nehemiah is standing in the king's presence. And the king says, why are you so upset? He says, can I talk to you, king? I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go and to build the wall. My people need a wall. Will you be okay with me leaving and doing that? Not only does the king say he'd be okay with it, the king actually pays for it. Do whatever you need to do to take care of the Israelites. And so Nehemiah chapter 3, we pick up with him in Jerusalem about to start building the wall, verse number one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brothers and the priest, uh, with his brothers the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, and as far as the tower of Hananel. And then he goes through and he talks about next to him the men of Jericho built. Next to him, Zakur, the son of Imri built. Then the sons of Han- uh, Hanat Hassanah. Built the fish gate and so on and so forth, all the way through the whole chapter three. He mentions this person was next to this person, this person was next to this person. We were working, we were building the gate. And chapter four, something happens. Look at chapter three, verse twenty-two. Between the upper chamber of the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So, so they're, they're rebuilding just, just for. Maybe a a little tidbit of information. The sheep gate that they built in in, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 is the same gate that later on in John chapter 5, Jesus is going to go. That's where next to the gate was this pool called the Pool of Bethesda where he would walk up to a man and say, a man in a worship service, worshiping a pagan god, and Jesus would walk up to this man and say, do you want to be healed? The man would say, well, uh, yeah, I think that's a prob- probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I want to be healed. And Jesus would said, "Take up your bed and walk." It's 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 the sheep gate, the thing that they built, that hundreds of years later, Jesus would use that location to mount a personal offensive attack against paganism for all of humanity to read about for the rest of history. And in chapter 3, it says that these men were working next to so-and-so and next to so-and-so. And when you first read Nehemiah, when you first read the Bible in general, you get to certain passages like this and think, what in the world, why, why, why in the world does Nehemiah have to record who's working next to who? I don't know who the sons of Emory are. I, I'm, I'm separated by thousands of years since Nehemiah 3 actually happened. Why do I need to care that Eliashib was the high priest? And he went with his brothers and built the sheep gate. It's not necessarily the people. However, in their time period, they would have read that a little differently because they would have known who these men were. They would have known, for instance, chapter 3, verse 9. Oh, I had to pick the one with the weird names in it. Next to them, Rafiah, the son of Hur, ruler, uh, ruler of half the district of Jer- Jerusalem repaired. Next to him... Jediah, the son of Haromath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son... Now, here we go. If, if y'all decide to change Finn's name last minute, here's a good one. Are you ready? Hashabniah. Hashabniah. Why, why in the world do I have to know about all these different names? I don't know who these men are. Well, the reason is twofold. Number one, back in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1... Uh, Nehemiah records that not only did Eliashib and his brothers build the sheep gate, they consecrated it. We'll talk about what the word consecrated means here in just a minute. But they consecrated it. And then he goes into this list of next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. And this guy built next to his house, and this guy built next to his house, and this guy built on the wall, and this guy built next to the wall, and this guy built there, and this guy built here, and next to him, and next to him. In that list, it doesn't, it doesn't come through in the English mind because we don't know who these people were. We don't know what their professions were or what their families were like. In this list, you have rich people and poor people. You have tradesmen and priests. Listen, okay, I, I kind of pride myself on being able to, to, to do some physical labor if I need to. I don't want to, but if I need to, I will. Uh, But their priests, their whole job was to just take care of the temple and and, and the worship services. And so you have rich and poor, tradesmen and priests. You have regular people and laity, which we'll talk about here in just a second, and clergy. You have all of these different types of people that are sitting and building the wall. And it takes, now get this, okay, from the time that Nehemiah had the conversation with his friend, of how Jerusalem is doing, to the time that Nehemiah speaks to the king is four months. They're talking about a wall that has been down for 150 years. Walls back then were two two ways. Either it was uh, sticks and, and logs and that sort of thing, or it was stone. The wall in Jerusalem was stone. It's been down for 150 years. It takes four months for Nehemiah to get up the courage to speak to the king about the fact that they needed a wall back in Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll get to chapter 4 here in just a second. In Nehemiah 3 and 4, it covers 52 days. It took four months for Nehemiah to get up the courage to say that they needed a wall. It took 150 years for them to start building it after it was destroyed, and it only took 52 days. Why did it only take 52 days? Because you have rich and poor, tradesmen and hard laborers. You have, you have laity and clergy working next to one another. When they did that, they were able to do something that was relatively unheard of. You don't build a wall that big, that majestic in 52 days. Yet everyone working together was able to do it. Now, let's go back to this idea of clergy and lady. You have, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, Eliashib, the high priest, and his brothers, the priests. Remember that the high priest and the other priests are part of the Le- Levitical priesthood. It's the family of Levi, and so they're all cousins and brothers. It's a family of people who were the priests of Jerusalem and, and the Israelite nation. Then you have all of these other people, noblemen, people that just... Didn't really have a clue what they were doing. Those are what today a lot of people would call laity. You have the clergy over here that are special. You know, they're the ones that wear the suits on Sunday and carry the big black Bibles and they stand up on. Okay, I I have to tell you all this. I've told some of you all this before. Uh, When we went to Savannah, we went to the third oldest Jewish synagogue in the nation. It It was remarkable just to learn the history of this church building. And the guy that was leading our, um, leading our little tour uh, said, so you're a preacher? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, for what denomination? I said, well, n- none. I'm, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And he went, oh, he had never heard of them before in his entire life. Never heard of the Church of Christ before in his entire life. And he said, but you're a preacher. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, we don't normally do this, but since you're a preacher, I, would you like to go up on the bema with me? And I said, uh, do I need my sidearm? Where are you taking me? And he said, the bema. And I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what a bema is. And he said, it's that thing. And he pointed to the front, and it was a stage. And he said, the bema is the place where the law is read. And so I've been joking around that I'm going to start calling this thing the bema because nobody knows what to call this in the church. You know that, right? We don't know. If, you, if I were to say stage, that gives the wrong impression, right? Because it looks like I'm going to do some kind of fancy dance up here. If I call it the pulpit, that's not true because this is the pulpit. So I'm going to start calling it the Bema. Anyways, the clergy are the people who wear the nice, pretty suits and carry the big, giant black Bibles. I just happen to be using my giant black Bible. And they stand on the Bema, the stage, the pulpit, whatever you want to call this thing up here. And then you have the laity. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, you see that 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 breakup doesn't happen. And the reason is because those two words actually come from Greek words that we can find in the New Testament. Laity comes from the Greek word laos. And it's found in one specific passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 2. Take your little ribbon and your fancy anti Bible and put it in Nehemiah chapter 3. We'll be back in a second. And go to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 10. 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A laos, a laity, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Once you were not a laity, but now you are God's laity. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see the problem in calling the the rest of the people laity? Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 says that the people of the church are the laity. That's great. Except it excludes the it excludes the other group, the clergy. Right? Laity just means every single person who's a member of the body of Christ is part of the laity, the laos, the people, the chosen special people. There's no differentiation between us. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, he says that there's neither slave nor free, bond nor uh, sorry, bondservant or, or free, slave or free, male or female, for all one in Christ Jesus. But then we go to this next word, clergy. Now, clergy is the Greek word kleros. Now, some, some words in Greek and English sound somewhat similar, right? You have laity, laos, and you have clergy, kleros. The word clergy, here's where you should be offended when someone says that I am the clergy. Other, uh, except at Midtown Medical. I will be continuing to use the clergy parking just because I think it's cool. Um, and St. Francis won't give me a parking decal. Anyways, so, um, uh, this morning I thought my car was going to be towed when I was over there. Anyways, um, here's, here's the thing. The word Kleros. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. You see, in Nehemiah chapter 3, we see people who were supposed to be the clergy. These are the priests. Their job is not supposed to be building the sheep gate. Their job is supposed to be praying over the sheep gate once the workers get done with it. And yet, they're the ones that you you see a priest in his priestly robe with his, you know, the high priest with his Urim and Thummim on and his his great phylacteries and his giant robe that, that is commanded by God in the Old Testament for him to wear... And he's picking up a stone and handing it to the next guy who's also a priest, and he's going to hand it to the next guy, and they're going to put it on top of the wall and build this place called the Sheep Gate. Now, in Acts chapter twenty-six, Paul is being Paul is recounting rather what Jesus told him, verse eighteen: to open their eyes that they may turn from the darkness to light and have the power of Satan. Uh, sorry, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And a clergy, a place, a cleros, among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, the idea of a la- laity and a clergy are anti-biblical. Not because, not because there's no difference in roles. There is a difference in role. We understand that. James chapter three, verse one. Not many of us need to be teachers, knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation. The difference is. That if we're calling ourselves clergy, if the guys that stand up here on the bima or stage or whatever you want to call this, now, from now on, anytime I say bema, i have to say bima or stage or anything you want to call this. Um, to say that there is this group that is Kleros is to say that everyone else does not have a place in the people that is sanctified by God. That means that all of y'all, you don't have the inheritance. You're your special people. Y'all are nice and wonderful, but, but I have the inheritance. You see the problem there? Acts chapter 26 and verse 18 says that all people who are sanctified, who have the forgiveness of sins, are part of the Kleros. For Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the clergy of the saints in light. The inheritance. And back in Nehemiah chapter 3, you have the laity, the special people, Israel, working right alongside the people that are supposed to be the clergy. They're supposed to be the, 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 the special, the, 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 the high and mighty, the ones that hold the law. And yet in the New Testament and in Nehemiah chapter 3, the Christians and the old Israelites had no sense of that difference. When they needed something done, when they needed a wall to be built in 52 days faster than it could ever be built, regardless of what was going on, they didn't seem to see a difference between the two. The priests were picking up rocks and handed them to the next guy. And that priest would hand it to the next guy, and they were going to build the sheep gate. And eventually, they would consecrate it. The word consecration means um, to proclaim pure. We don't usually do it, but in Matthew chapter six, we're commanded. On, we're, we're not commanded. We're taught how to pray. Jesus' followers ask him how they should pray, and he he answers them, "Our Father." Now, I played football for ten years, and I wrestled for three, and did a bunch of other sports in there. And so, um, there's one passage I knew before I ever cared about the Bible. I knew Matthew chapter six. The Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. If we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Break. Go to the locker rooms. See, that's really the only time we ever study Matthew chapter 6. But back at the beginning where he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed. That word hallowed is the word consecrated. They consecrated the sheep gate. If you were to ask one of those priests, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to just be praying and making sacrifices in the temple? I mean, Ezra's got the temple pretty much finished. It's it's done. It was was consecrated a little while ago back in Ezra chapter 6. Aren't you supposed to be doing something over there? So that you can somehow show how wonderful and majestic God is? Which is their job. If you were to ask one of those priests on that sheep gate that day, he would have said this. This, this rock is just as important as that scripture that I could go and go to the temple and read. This rock is, to me, at this point... My work is equal, my physical work is equal to my spiritual work. They consecrated it. When you you realize your physical work is consecrated to God, whether or not it's building a sheep gate, thankfully we don't need a wall right now. Uh, Well, depending on who you ask and what news channel you ask. But anyways... When you realize that your physical work is equal to your spiritual work, your spiritual devotion. Because it's all consecrated. Your lives are consecrated. It wasn't just that these men consecrated some gate that they built in a wall. They consecrated their entire lives. They saw that what they were doing was equal to their service to God Almighty. And I can prove that in Nehemiah chapter 4. Go back to Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah chapter 4, this is kind of a lengthy reading, but I want to take the time to read Nehemiah 4, because if, you, if you've never read it, and you don't realize what's happening, maybe you have read it, and you've just skimmed through it because it's your daily Bible reading or something like that. Not to say that daily Bible reading is anything wrong, it's actually a good thing. However, sometimes we, we just read to get it done, and we don't really focus on the words that we're actually saying. So I want to read Nehemiah chapter 4. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in in the presence of his brothers and in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? No, it'll take 52 days. What do you, what do these, Sanballat says, what do these Jews think they're doing? they got priests trying to build a wall. They think they're actually going to complete it. It won't take a day, Samballi. It's going to take 52. But we're going to get it done quicker than you could have done it. <clears throat> will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? buy the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God. Now this is a prayer Uh, A couple of times in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah breaks the narrative to write a prayer that he's praying. Uh, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. See, Nehemiah thought that what they were doing physically was equal to their worship to God. Does that mean that what we do on Sundays is not important? No. That's not what it means at all. Does that mean that if we're going to work, that we can somehow consecrate our work so that it takes the place of the gathering of the church? No. But these men were taking the time, between the time when they were supposed to be at the temple, and they consecrated their physical work to where in their eyes, their entire lives, whether in worship service or out of worship service, belonged to God Almighty. Drop down to verse number 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies, this, that's the end of the prayer. Nehemiah, it doesn't end like normal prayers that we read about, right? It doesn't say, Lord, please, Watch over us so that we can rebuild the wall. He says, without your help, Lord, we're not going to be able to. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Understanding that God was going to help them. And so, our enemies, verse 11, they will not know or see till we come among them. This is Sandballot now. Back, back to Sandballot, and he says, here's what we're going to do. I've got an idea. To, I've got an idea. If they finish the wall, we can't take Jerusalem. But if we go while they're building the wall, then number one, they're they're distracted. They think, these weak Christians think that their entire lives belong to God. These weak Israelites think that those stones are equal to their worship to God. And so they're going to be paying attention to the stones more than they're going to be paying attention to us. And so what we do is we go and we take them while they're building the wall. Then we don't have to break down a wall. We just take the city and get done with these measly Israelites pick up in chapter 2 verse 15 when our enemies heard that it was known to us Nehemiah knew what they were planning and that God had frustrated their plan we all returned to the wall each to his work from that day on half of my servants worked on construction and the other half held spears and shields and bows and coats of mail and the leaders stood behind the wall behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens, were loaded on such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. Instead of me picking up that rock, me and Forrest are gonna pick up that rock, and with our open hands, we're gonna carry a sword. You see, Nehemiah knew that without God's help, they weren't gonna be able to complete it, much less complete it in the 52 days even though their work had been consecrated to God. And Sanballat says, we can take them. We just have to go when they're not paying attention. And so Nehemiah says, well, here's the, here's, here's, here's the trick. We're just going to be paying attention all the time. And so, verse 18, And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the office, uh, officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread. and We're separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So he labored at the work. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears in the break of dawn until the stars came out. I, said, I also said to the people at this time, Let every man... And his servant passed the night within Jerusalem that they may be be a guard for us by night that we may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor our servants nor the men on the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. And for two solid months they worked on the wall with a sword on their side and helping one another carry the rock so that they could easily stop and drop it and fend off attackers. Because, they're, because back to Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. Their lives, their entire lives had been consecrated. If it took them shedding blood on that wall, they were going to finish the wall. They didn't know how long it was going to take. They didn't know it was going to take 52 days. They just knew we're going to do this. Because our lives have been consecrated to God. I want to let you in on a little secret, okay? Um, A little preaching secret. This is insider knowledge, so don't go out telling everybody, okay? Preachers don't want you to know this. You know, we can guess how many of you are going to be here on any given Sunday. You know, today's kind of wet, and so... Obviously, some people aren't here. If it had been cold, we would have lost 10 more percent of people. Cold and wet, nobody's coming to church at all. I I, I can prove it to you. Next week, maybe it'll be cold and wet. We'll have four people in here. And I'll look around and say, see, I told you so. Anyways, we are so predictable. As a people of God, we are so ultimately predictable when Sanballat wanted to stop the Israelites, he thought, well, we'll just take them. I mean, they're, they're, they're not fighters. They've been in captivity for 150 years. They, they, don't, they can't do this. And even if they can, they're going to be focused on the walls so much that they're not going to be able to fight against us. They won't even have their swords. And so they find out about it. And what we would have done... Was stop work on the wall, right? Stop work on the wall and sit there and wait till Sandballot gets there and let's go toe to toe, Sandballot, and you versus me and my God and let's see who wins. And yet they weren't—they weren't predictable. But as a people of God, we are—we are so innately predictable that oftentimes, I I think Satan has to do the same thing that Sandballot did. We just wait till they're not paying attention. You know, it's it's cold, and so they're not going to be paying attention today. We can we can probably get them to not go to church today. Well, it's a holiday, and so a lot of people are going to be traveling. I don't, really don't have to work that hard. See, we do the job for him often, to the point that he didn't he didn't really have to work at it because we do it for him. We 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 lay down and we we focus on our on our physical work so much, number one, when, when your physical work is consecrated to God, it's not going, you're not going to let your guard down Monday through Friday. People say, "Well, why do we have such a problem with Christians only being Christians on Sundays or only being Christians from 645, let, let's be honest, 705 when they come to services on, uh, on Wednesday night to 805 when they leave as soon as the prayer is said because they don't want to talk to anybody. Why, why do we have this problem that Christians are only Christians when they're at the building? It's because our lives aren't consecrated. Once our lives are consecrated, we're not going to have that downtime. Holidays and rain and cold and uh, anything else is not going to stop us. It's not going to take down our defenses. Sandballat knew exactly when he needed to fight. Just wait till they're building and then we'll go in and take them and it'll be no problem. And yet, what he didn't expect is that their lives had already been consecrated. If it hadn't, they wouldn't have known the truth. They they wouldn't have known that he was coming and going to take them. And so chapter 4 wouldn't have happened. But they did because they they were paying attention. They didn't have this separation between priest and and non-priest. They didn't say, listen, okay, so the rest of the people have to build the wall. And as soon as we get done, then the priest will step in and they'll pray over it. They'll sprinkle some water on it or they'll drop Olive oil, it's amazing to me that the olive oil that many people today use for holy, you know, you got to do the cross on your forehead or whatever, it's extra virgin olive oil that they probably bought at Aldi because it's cheaper there. Anyways, the, they didn't realize that, that the Israelites' lives had been given to what they were doing. Nehemiah is not a book about a wall being completed. Oftentimes we think, well, okay, Ezra is about the temple, Nehemiah is about the wall. Great. No, Nehemiah is a book, and in fact, what happens at the end of Nehemiah, if you've never read it, is tremendously heartbreaking. They get the wall done, they get everything done, and Nehemiah goes back to the king to tell him how he's how it's going and that, that they got done and that you know the wall's done and we're we're so excited, King. Thank you so much for helping us. And when he gets back, he realizes that wait a second, we built a wall, but we didn't have them ready for what they were supposed to be doing. They've taken the temple and they've taken special rooms in the temple that are supposed to be there for get, bringing in the, the tithe, bringing in the, the giving that the people had been giving. They'd taken the special room and given it to, they'd given it to Tobiah, the guy who a few chapters before said, yes, Sanballat, we can take them. And so Nehemiah goes in and he throws all that stuff out. Reminds me of Jesus when he's in the temple. And he goes in. You can almost see him sitting in the corner making the whip. And then all of a sudden, this, this guy with a beard that nobody really knows stands up and starts whipping people and driving them out of the temple. At the end of Nehemiah, you have... They've forgotten the law. They've forgotten the commands. They've, the, the last chapter of Nehemiah is so heartbreaking. And it ends with that. But at the beginning... They had consecrated their lives. Now, what what does Nehemiah teach us if it's not about some wall being built? It's the fact that if you consecrate your life now, you'll be able to succeed. But later on down the road, you're still going to have to remember what you decided to do back then. The worst thing that Christians can think is that once I'm baptized, it's over with. I'm done. I'm so excited I feel the weight is lifted off of me. I'm studying my scriptures. And then 20 years down the road, we get to the point. And I've told you the story before. The man that I met in Darien, Georgia, walking along the road. And I said, I'm from the Darien Church of Christ. I'd like to invite you to a gospel meeting this week. And he said, oh, I'm a member of the Church of Christ down in the road. Down the road. Uh, I'm really excited to hear what y'all are doing for Darien. They're, they're a small church. and I'm really excited. And I said, great. Will you take some of these flyers and pass them out at your neighborhood? and he said no i've i've been a christian for a long time i've i've done my share it's time for you to do yours you see that man had consecrated his life back then but forgot about it and by the end of nehemiah they have forgotten about it christianity and faith in general is not just something that you check a box one day and you walk down forward and you do it and then 50 years down the road, you can forget about it. Faith is something that you constantly have to put your sword on your belt and get to work. And sometimes we forget that. Now do you know why... Um, yeah, here it comes. Okay. Now do you know why I feel like I, I think I needed to not throw an audible... I was sitting in the ER room this morning during Bible class. Y'all were all here, and I was, I was at St. Francis, and a man walked in in nursing scrubs and said, um, How old is Miss Bowling? He said, She's 98. He said, That sounds like a pretty good number to me. And I said, Yeah. And Lewis, her nephew, said, Do you know how long Miss OP's been, or Ms. OP, you know how long OP's been a member at Warm Springs Road? And I said, no, as far as I know, you know, nobody really knows. She's just always been here. It's like Jesus established a church and she moved to Columbus. And about the same time, the church, I don't know. <laughs> 2,000 years, I don't know. And he said, we think she probably started about the time that they moved into that house in 1952. Wasn't Warm Springs Road back then, it was Waverly Avenue. You can't consecrate your life when you're young and expect that when you're 98 years old, you're still going to be able to do it. You got to keep on. And, uh, and every time I go to see Miss O.P., she says, I'm sitting right there. Right there is her seat. If y'all, y'all that came after, she had to stop coming, you don't know that, but. That was her seat. And she says, I'm still sitting there. You aren't letting anybody sit in my seat yet, are you? And I said, well, Ms. O.P., sometimes people do sit there. The good thing is we have this whole section where everybody's kind of scared to sit, you know. Uh, I don't know if that's the splash zone or what, but uh, I promise I'm not scary. But, like, these first three rows, are, people are terrified. Anyways, you can't consecrate your life at one point and put your sword on your belt and then... Later, forget about it. You've got to get to work, and you got to stay at work. If there's someone here that needs to become a Christian, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you. If you need to renew your zeal and consecrate your life again, now's a good time to do that. We're going to stand and sing a song for you as well. And if you need to respond, let us know while we do so.